Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 17. Man, we're getting up there. I don't think you guys know this, but whenever we um, do our intro and then we play music, we play music when we edit it in, but there's no music playing, but Sally and I always like bop around right. like there is music. <laughs> like, this is where the music will go. <laughs> People do for love. Dun, dun, dun. And we bump around and then we come back <laughs> and as say if, hello. As if we have a producer other than us. Yes, it's just us. <laughs> Um, so how are you doing? Good, good. I'm great. I wanted to say a quick, um, thank you guys. I know a couple of episodes ago, we, we pre-record these sometimes cause we're busy, dude. We're so we have busy. a lot going on. <laughs> we, um, pre-record and then, um, so sometimes episodes will come out, um, like a week later or more. The episode just aired a, this Monday of the where where Sally and I get a little emotional. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I was tempted to uh, call it a very special, a very special <laughs> episode. <laughs> um, but I just wanted to say thank you guys so much. So many of you have like messaged us and yeah. reached out and supported us, and and thank you. We it's it's been amazing, and it makes us feel great to know that you know. We didn't cry for no reason. Right. <laughs> we cried so you'd cry. We cried so you'd cry, and then you would talk to us, and we would feel better. Um, no, but I mean, it just like, you know, it's nice to know that, you know, a lot of people go through a lot, and it's nice to hear when people are going through similar situations, and yeah. we can support each other, because that's what... Um, that's what dumb love's all about. That's right. We're all about connection. Yeah, it's connection and support. Um, um Do you want to get to our quickies? Yes, I do. You go first. Okay. Um, I have a quickie that's about connection. Okay. Um, Hey, Jen. Good segue. (laughs) Thank you. Do you remember when, how much we loved that story that you told of the guy who really, really loved cars? Yeah. Like was in love. What was his name? It was like Ed Williams or something like that. Oh, that's a good memory. So I think that was like in episode two. Yeah. Um, Jen told a story about a guy who said he had had made love to over a thousand cars. Yeah, and he picked and married one. Yeah. And her name was Vanilla. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot that detail. I do have a good memory. Um, Well, I've got another one for you. Okay. Okay, so this this comes from a Huffington Post article by a writer named David Moy. Um, Okay, so uh, a Welsh man, Daniel Cooper, was caught on surveillance video getting naked and then grinding against a blue 4x4 Land Rover Discovery. Oh my god. He told he was arrested and he told the court that he had drunk he was so drunk at the time that he didn't remember this encounter <laughs> oh until he saw the video. How horrifying. If right? you don't remember at all and then you have to watch this video of you having sex with an inanimate object. Right? Well, it oh actually wasn't the only inanimate objects he had been caught having sex with that evening. Um, the same night? Yeah. Well, early, I mean, he was drunk. Earlier in the night, witnesses saw him bumping and grinding with the counter at a kebab shop. Oh, my God. And then 
simulating sex on the floor with his pants around his ankles. And he <gasps> had also been caught on on uh, on tape walking down the street with his pants pulled down. There's no way that was just alcohol. You don't think so? No. That's like, that's some meth <laughs> shit. <laughs> well, he, so Cooper, who's a, a father of three, um, he- Oh, was, God! <laughs> it just gets better and better. The hits just keep coming. I mean, I can kind of understand that, because like- You can? Well, no. I mean, just the like- <laughs> Being a parent and then getting a night out. Oh, getting a night out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I used to be able to drink so much. And then having like three drinks and being just completely trashed. (laughs) Oh, my God. If my husband (laughs) did that. If you did your door and they were like, um, we've got something you got to see. (laughs) (laughs) You got to watch this tape. So, Um, yeah, he told the, he told the, um, he told the police that he rarely drank. Um, and so he was given a three-month nighttime ban. Basically, oh he's not allowed to go out God. at night for three months, and he was ordered to pay a fine. Um, his attorney said, told the court, like, his his client was mortified by the actions and that, that like, his behavior was totally out of character. He said he's a responsible family man who looks after the children while his wife goes to work. So he's a stay-at-home dad of three. Yeah, yeah. I um, don't know that I would... Leave them home with the kids anymore. No, I, I, I don't know. So a friend said, a friend said, Daniel will never live this down. He's not a pretty sight when he's naked. We all felt sorry for the Land Rover, and I hope it wasn't offended. And Daniel has since changed his name on Facebook to Daniel I would. Hotcock Cooper. No, he hasn't. <laughs> yes. This is not. What? Yeah. Why? Just like his face. I think probably to like be like, ha, ha, ha. To be funny about it? Yeah. You should see him. He's oh like this. Oh my gosh. Where do they live? He, uh, in Wales. Okay. Okay. That yeah, sounds yeah. like British humor. Right. Okay. I was going to say. Yeah. So, so Daniel Hopcock. <laughs> <laughs> was that really good? Okay. That makes sense there, I guess. Because yeah. it seems like something. He's like a big burly guy. Yeah. Like, Hopcock the- sounds better than hot cock. <laughs> <laughs> In the United States. Yeah. Hot cock. So that's my quickie. In Boston. Hot <laughs> cock. Daniel Hot Cook. That's so funny. Oh my God. Okay. Hey, Sally. Yes, Jen. Are you ready for my quickie? I am ready. Okay. So it's October. Is it? Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's it October, is. <laughs> and it's my favorite month of the year. I mean, I, it's hard to tell that it's October here it's because so it's hot 95 right degrees. I know. I In know. Atlanta, you guys, it's crazy. It's not good. Um, but October is my favorite month of the year. I live for Halloween. I love Halloween so much. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, All I've ever wanted to be my whole life is like Roseanne Connor on Halloween. Oh, my gosh. That's great. Like, I've always wanted yeah. to be that family. Yeah. So um, I love it. But so I, my thing that I'm going to do all month long then is I'm going to go, or through the duration of October. Right. Um, or Cocktober. <laughs> hot Cocktober. Hot Cocktober, which sounds so much better it does. than Hot Cocktober. <laughs> hot Cocktober is, um, I'm going to do all like Halloween themed um, quickies. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Okay. So are you claustrophobic person yes you are me too oh my god so this story just like makes me 
freak out. Okay. Um, so oh, I'm just like thinking about what it could be. This is an article from um, Fox 8 Cleveland um, that was just posted um, and written by Natasha Anderson. But, thanks, um, Natasha. Thanks, Natasha. Um, so Six Flags America, which is the Six Flags in Maryland, uh-huh. is um, doing a contest right now where they're challenging couples to spend 30 hours in a coffin together. Like one little coffin? One, like, I guess, reg- coffin-sized coffin, like a regular coffin. Can you both fit in there? I guess you'd have to, like, lay on top of each For other. For 30 hours? It's as couples. It's like a couples challenge. Huh. So, actually, the park will choose six couples of any sort, it says. Siblings, cousins, friends, lovers, etc. I would not want to be in a coffin with a sibling. <laughs> <laughs> So you have to spend 30 hours in the coffin beginning from 4 p.m. to Friday. And this takes place, uh, I'm sorry, 4 p.m. on Friday through on September 27th through 8 p.m. on Saturday, September 28th. So that's how long that it lasts. Okay. So, and then, what's that? Why? Why? So the winner of the contest actually wins. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Okay. So this will take place in uh, Six Flags Fright Fest, which this is a little bit of information about me okay. that you probably did not know. I love it. But I used to work at Six Flags Fright Fest when I was in high school. What? Yes. What'd you do? Did I you was like... a dancing zombie. No, And you I were was not. a character in the haunted house. Wow. Yeah, I have some really good stories about that, and I'll have to tell you guys another time. But it was... I love it. Crazy. Uh, I did it one season. I would never, ever do it again. Really? Was ever. it like... It was like... Poor, poor working conditions. Let's yeah. just say that. They had this, we were teenagers and we would work like crazy. We would leave school, go straight to Six Flags and get home at like two o'clock in the morning. And then it was every day for two and a half, three months, like every single day. Oh my God. So no breaks. And then if you missed a shift, then you didn't get any of your money. And then. That's illegal. Yeah. And then, um, like, so I would work sick. I worked, like, sick, like, walking around in the rain with, like, makeup pouring down my face. Yeah. It was crazy. And then when they finally gave us our paycheck months later, we yeah. finally got it. It was, like, $500 because they took out for dry cleaning our costumes, catering because we could never leave to go eat anything. So we would have to eat the catered food and taxes. What? I only got, like, 500 and something dollars. This was back in 1996, 1996, mm-hmm. but uh, still, still, it still hurts. Yeah. It still feels like yesterday. Um, but anyway, so this will take place at Six Flags uh, America's Fright Fast. Um, so it'll be in a coffin and there'll be like people like lurking, like, you know, ghouls lurking, lurking around and like dry ice everywhere and all that stuff. Uh-huh. But they said that if anyone gets out of their coffin for any reason, except for designated bathroom and meal breaks, they will be automatically disqualified and not eligible to win the contest. And the couple who can survive the entire challenge will receive $600. Not enough money no. that they could share among. So it's not even six hundred total. Six hundred? No, it's six hundred each. Six hundred total to split, and then they get a pair of gold season passes for the twenty twenty season at Six Flags. I guess if you're a big Six Flags fan, like if you're gonna go enough, I don't know. Here's the thing too: if more than one couple remains at the end of the thirty eight a thirty hour challenge. 
The remaining finalists will have to compete head-to-head with a spicy hot sauce sandwich eating contest. <laughs> this is just a, like a collaboration. Collaboration? Conglomeration? Conglomeration. <laughs> it's a collaboration. As is Congl- that word. <laughs> of, uh, Every single thing that I hate all rolled into one. Like <laughs> nightmare, stuff. nightmare, nightmare. Coffin. Spicy stuff. Claustrophobia. Spending time with, husband. Spending time with my <laughs> husband. Or being that close to anybody for a long period of time. And then Six Flags Fright Fast. Yeah. No, thank you. I will not be participating. I kind of... You, you would. I would... <laughs> <laughs> You would. It sounds yeah, like you would. You yeah, would. okay, Sal, you would. No, I'm just saying like <laughs> 30 hours to sleep. That does sound... If I could do it by myself. No kid around? Yeah. That sounds great. You know, I think I could do it. I and you get to point. get out to pee and, and eat? Okay. Although I have... I mean, I need a lot of pee breaks, so... I kind of see your point right? here. I get it. If I could do it alone, then. Oh, yeah, yes. yeah. Alone, but not with another 100%. person. Yeah. I, my, I don't care if I have my phone. Just... I could sleep for 30 hours, I think. Yeah, it just like, you know, take a pill before you go in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I take like two unisoms. Well, Get that's my it. quickie. I love it. Spooky. It's a spooky quickie. <laughs> All right, do you have a crazy story? I do. Okay, so we totally... I, I take full responsibility for this, but I messed up the order. I told oh you. God. I was like, you go first, Sally. No, it's you. I can't believe... People are going to... Are you guys don't leave us but I was, we, <laughs> we went in the wrong order. Do you guys even know I was we, supposed to go first. <laughs> that we do a certain order every time? We probably tried not. It. Yeah, probably not. Um, but I'm going to tell the crazy story this week. All right. Uh, Is it a spooky crazy story? You know... Actually, yes. Ooh. It's spooky in the end there. It's spooky in the end. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this story comes uh, by way of two different, well, three different resources. Uh, Wikipedia, uh, my favorite snapped killer couples. Oh, yeah. And, I'm familiar. Yes. And then an article in people.com written by Associated Press. But this is the story of the Craigslist killers. What? Yeah. Now, when I read the title and then I read the story originally, I was like, this isn't the Craigslist killer I remember. Like, I think that there's different Craigslist killers. (laughs) There's got to be a bunch. But these are some of them. Well, yeah, because I think there was like one that was just a guy, a young guy. Yeah. Yeah. And I then, think that was kind of like the most yeah. popular or not popular. <laughs> the most popular one. He was the most popular Craigslist killer. You can't have all of the Craigslist. Yeah. So, and, um, Amanda Dean was born in North Pole, Alaska, which I didn't realize was a town. No, me neither. Sounds delightful. Uh, North Pole, Alaska. Amanda Dean was born youngest of two daughters. She was born with dislocated hips, um, and so she had to be in a lower body cast from the ages of two to four, which Oof. is really awful. That's so awful. I can't, I can't even 
imagine caring for a child that yes. yeah it's like so a two to four year old and it's like there's they have so much energy I know and so she she required 24 hour care and so her parents like needed a break sometimes yeah. so they used to every other weekend send the kids their two daughters over to their aunt and uncle so that they could get a break but unfortunately the uncle the whole mm-hmm. time was um sexually molesting both her and her sister which is so awful that's awful um she so she told her parents right away and then um and then some months um after well i'm sorry she told her parents a uh, parents a few months after it started and then the uncle was immediately arrested and he was sent to prison for 19 years good for so her parents for yeah being responsive yes how horrible would you feel you're like we're caring for this kid we just need a break and we have this sweet aunt and uncle who will take I care know. of them. It's heartbreaking. Oh. It's yeah, it's scary. heartbreaking. Um, so because of her, uh, you know, um, uh, what she had gone through, she kind of had trouble adjusting mm-hmm. to like school life, and she ran away a lot. Um, they she would go to parties all the time and became heavily involved with alcohol and drugs. Yeah, um, she did go to rehab, but what she kind of went through this cycle of like would be, um, you know, go to rehab, be good for a few weeks, mm-hmm. be doing great, and then fall right back into it. Yeah, um, and at the age of thirteen, at this time, she was barely going to school. She'd been in and out of rehab before thirteen. Yeah, isn't that awful? Yeah, I know. And so at um, 13, she barely went to school, but then she fell, um, because she wasn't going to school, she fell in with a group of 19 um, and 20-year-old gang members in Alaska. Like, what kind of (laughs) Alaskan gangs are, are they like crab? Crab gangs? gangs? Crabs v. Lobsters? I don't know if there's even nine lobsters there. I just didn't take Alaska for being like a big I think Alaska is like super hardcore is it yeah i think you have to be to be a person who lives and survives in alaska you have to be really hardy yeah so i just think there's probably a lot of people who are like live in a hard rough life yeah and so maybe not gangs in the sense that you think of like inner city gangs but like you know that makes sense yeah i guess i always just kind of picture alaska as like glaciers like penguins yeah and happiness (laughs) and crab legs Yum. Um, but I guess I've never been to Alaska. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so she, um, so she, she was hanging out with these 20, 19 and 20 year old gang members and they kind of, they took advantage of her sexually also mm-hmm. because they were like, here's this 13 year old girl that idolizes us, right. whatever. So, um, at 16, she actually became pregnant and that's when she decided to complete completely changed her life. And so her family sent her to go live in Coates, North Carolina with relatives, uh-huh. uh, hopefully better ones. Yeah. And, um, and then she gave birth to a baby girl. She um, started doing better. She got her GED and she was working in a supermarket. Um, and then she eventually met 22-year-old Elliot Barber. Um, I feel like this is not going to be good for her. Yes. Probably not. 
Um, but Elliot was shy and awkward, and he didn't really fit in in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was super smart, and he was an amazing student. And um, but he was interested in things like he was a little goth boy. Okay, he liked like dark magic and the occult. But like you know, my kid plays Dungeons and Dragons. Right. I think it's pretty normal. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, don't, I think that's a pretty normal angsty teen thing to yeah. get into. Well, I guess he was twenty two. Or young person. <laughs> I mean, you're like, he's 40. You know, there are plenty of people that like that stuff. Like, you don't really turn into a goth at 40, but like, yeah. you know, some people stay goth. Yeah, they're yeah. definitely 40-year-old goths. Yeah. I'm a little bit goth. Are you a little goth? A little. I'm a little goth. Um, so, um, he he actually had a girlfriend in college um, who he got his girlfriend pregnant, and she had a... Um, they had a baby together when he was 22 years old. Um, but he met Miranda in the summer of 2013. And they both kind of hit it off um, yeah. because they were both like, you know, young parents. So right. they had a lot to talk about. Um, they didn't fit in, you know, so they they connected there. Um, and, you know, they both liked, you know, the occult, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, um, you know, he was still in a relationship, but, um, you know, they couldn't deny that how attracted they were to each other. So eventually he started uh-huh. cheating on his girlfriend, oh. uh, with her, which not good. Um, and he told all of his friends how much he loved Miranda and he ended, he actually ended up breaking up with his girlfriend, um, which by leaving his girlfriend, he like agreed to give up custody of his child. So he just oh, kind wow. of abandoned his girlfriend and child and, you know, shacked up with old Miranda. Or I should say young Miranda. She was 19. Um, so within six months, though, um, Elliot and Miranda ended up getting married by Justice of the Peace. Um, and so they wanted to start over, you know, and mm-hmm. start a new life together. So they moved with their daughter to Salins Grove, Pennsylvania. He had some friends that lived there and they agreed to like let him let the family live in their house. Okay. Um it was like a a, a couple. Uh-huh. And um while well, they could like get on their feet and you know get a job and kind yeah. of create a, a new life there. So uh, they said that they would cook food, they would clean the house, they were like super helpful, like yeah. just like a nice couple with a baby. Um and Miranda and Elliot, um, not only did they share a love for, you know, the occult and stuff like that, but they loved just hanging out and home and watching, like, um, they both had a love for horror movies and they especially loved the show American Horror Story. Okay. Which, so do I, yeah. dude. Yeah. I was like, so far this sounds I like do it could too. be you. <laughs> like, I'm not saying crazy? I love the occult. I'm not that. I'm not into Satan. But I do like horror movies and I do like American Horror Story. Yeah. It's the first season I liked. Okay. I liked that one. I don't, I don't think I really cared for any of that. Anyway. So, um, so on November 12th, 2013, at 11.30 a.m., a woman left her house and finds an unconscious man lying in the road. She saw, like, she thought he was just, like, a passed out drunk guy. And yeah. then when she walked up to him, she realized that there was blood all underneath his body, like, oh. pulled underneath him. Um, and she called 911. The police arrived. It turned out he had been um, stabbed over 20 times. And now this was a really small town um, called Sunbury, um, Pennsylvania. And, like, they knew that this couldn't have been a random stabbing. Like, you know, it was 20 times. And, it, yeah. and whoever did this, like, 
it was a personal thing and right. knew this person. So they needed to figure out, you know, who did it. And they also found a cable wire under the victim's body. And they couldn't find a wallet or ID, but they had his phone. So they were able to call... Um, they were able to get his phone unlocked and they called um, the last person that was calling him yeah. um, was Colleen LaFerrera, which was his wife. Um, the wife of um, this, the man was 42-year-old, um, which is very young, 42-year-old so Troy LaFerrera. And Colleen said that her husband didn't drink or do drugs and he had no enemies um, and she said, you know, he was at his, she, he was at my mom's house like last night. You know, we were like everything was fine, and um, he did spend some time on the computer, and then he left at seven p.m. Uh-huh. So then the police were like, well, we got to look at we this look computer. computer. So they <laughs> so they <laughs> look up like they search the computer, and they it shows that he was looking up personal ads on Craigslist. Uh. And then his cell phone records show that he had sent several text messages on the night he was murdered to go and meet someone. And the person, the phone number who it was registered to that he was texting was registered to Elliot Barber. Oh, my God. Um, Yeah. And then they used the number to also, um, the number was, um, the phone number was associated with a vehicle registration. And the um, vehicle that was registered to Miranda Barber. So they knew it yeah. was this couple was involved. So they found their address, and but they saw that it was like occupied by two different couples. Uh-huh. Well, it just so happens that the other couple of their friends that lived there, um, I think it was a girl named Valerie, um, was the girlfriend. She had a DUI. So the police were able to like use the fact that this person had oh. a DUI to get an automatic search wa- warrant for their house. Really? Yeah. I didn't huh. know you could do that. Yeah, I didn't either. Don't be living with nobody with no DUI. Right. <laughs> if you're going to be a murderer. tip. If you're going to be a murderer, <laughs> be smart. Watch out who you're hanging out with. <laughs> Pick your friends wisely. Right. <laughs> um, so so one morning the police just show up and they searched the entire house, but they didn't find anything. Um, but they, you know, they decided they're going to question everyone. So the alibis that they gave were that Miranda and Elliot went out on a date while, because it was their anniversary or something, and while Valerie, DUI friend, uh-huh. stayed in and wa- uh, babysit their daughter, okay. Miranda's daughter. Um, they said they didn't know anything about, everyone said that they didn't know who this guy was at all, like yeah. the victim. They had no connection to him. And at first, Miranda was being like super cooperative and nice and pleasant, but then when they asked for her cell phone, she all of a sudden mm-hmm. started freaking out and like became really irate. And then they, they forcibly had to take it out of her hand. Like she refused to give it up. So as soon as they're able to unlock her phone, they saw that she had text messages and um, from Troy. Okay. And so Miranda tells the police that she, um, she's been advertising on Craigslist as a quote-unquote companion, uh-huh. not a sexual companion. She says, just a friend. Yeah. I'm just a friend, and I get paid uh, between $100 and $850 a night to be your friend. Oh, I would do that. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Actually, I'm friendly, and I am poor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could do both. Um, yeah. I wish that were true. Actually, but there are people that like get paid to hug people. Cuddlers. Yeah, I saw a thing on TV about it. It's like 
Maybe we'll do a story on that. It's people who they're it's it's mostly in New York City where you can like kind of just order anything. Right. So you you can order, order someone. Yeah, they'll just come and they sit on the couch with you and they cuddle with you. No. <laughs> no, I, because it, I mean, in theory, I get it. There are people like people need to be touched. Yeah. You know, it's like when you aren't touched for a long time, you can really it can really affect your psyche, but like no, the person who is ordering someone to come hug is like it's gro- it's going to be I gross. actually saw a thing. Let's talk more about it another time. Okay. But I saw a thing where there was a couple and they lived in different states and uh, or were like one lived on Long Island and was getting a degree and then the other person lived in the city and I mean, the husband well was like super like fine with the fact that his wife orders cuddlers. He's like, "Well, I can't be there to do it." So, no, there's something it's there's something else. All there. right. I'm going to find this documentary and okay. then we're going to talk about it. Okay. I'm going to buy it. Yeah. It's real. Um, okay. So anyway, uh, she said that Elliot was aware of the fact that she was a friendly, um, a very high paid friend, uh-huh. friendly person, <laughs> professional friendster. Um, she claims that they, um, and then she, um, and she said that he knew about it and was fine with it. And she claims that she texted with Troy, but that she got nervous and left before he showed up. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then somebody else came and stabbed him 20 times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then they questioned Elliot and he confirmed it. He said he knew about the, her Craigslist ad. Uh-huh. And, but, and then, but then once they were able to see what the texts were, when, like, like they read her text, yeah. they was like obviously sexual in nature. Right. Well, you know? I mean, of course. So they immediately <laughs> know that she's a liar and she's like holding back information for sure. Yeah. Um, so after a few weeks later, it wasn't for a few weeks, they were able to locate his car. It was parked at a shopping mall and they found no evidence inside the car, but they were able to get footage of the the parking lot because of the mall. Okay. And so um, they found... Um, um, the footage shows that... Um, it shows his car pulling up, him leaving his car, and him getting into someone else's vehicle. They couldn't see from the mall parking lot tape who was driving or the car make or model they couldn't see a lot of that but they okay. they could confirm that it was troy um but at a second nearby store um they had a video of the cars driving past it and they were able to see, get a clearer view and it did show elliot was leaving the back seat of that car okay and then he went inside a a store and and he ended up buying a bunch of cleaning supplies and then two hours after the after the video showed troy getting so that was two i'm sorry yeah. i worded that weird that all happened two hours after they saw troy get into that car oh, okay. so then so the video showed him getting into that car and then two hours later they saw elliot getting out of the backseat of the car and going and buying all these cleaning supplies Oh yeah, that was a, that's that's a, sounds like a fun date. Sounds friendly. <laughs> sounds like a fun date thing. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's like you know what? Oh, let's clean the house. <laughs> I know. Um, so this also, so this video, you know, shows that Troy was in the car. It also discredits their original story about being out of town celebrating their anniversary for the night. Liars. Um, and so, there, but there was still not enough evidence to convict. Um, so they were able to search the car. And it looked like it had been cleaned, but it hadn't been cleaned like enough because yeah. they were not that smart. Because it was um, just twenty year old 
dummies. Yeah. Who watch a lot of American Horror Story. Yeah. And so they were about to test for DNA, but before they even did that, Miranda decided to go to the police and come clean. Mm -hmm. And so she admitted to killing Troy, but she said it was in self-defense. Of course. She said that her and her husband had plans to go out, but they needed some money. So Mm -hmm. she was like, I'm going to take this quick friend job. (laughs) I'm just going to go be a friend real quick. I'll be right back. We can buy Twizzlers and a Coke. At the movie theater. Um, so anyway, um, she decides to go take this job, but she said that she got into the mall parking lot first, and then he showed up and got into her car, and he, she said that he told her to drive, and then everything seemed fine until he pulled over. And then she said they talked for a minute, and then he came on to her. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know. What? Surprising. Yeah. What? You get into a car, and a man pays you $850? <laughs> Um, so she told him that, so she said that she told him that she was only 16 and then it made him try harder, but she was 19. But anyway, um, so, but it made him try harder. And she said that because of her PTSD from her abuse as a child, that she grabbed a knife that she kept under her seat and she stabbed him until he stopped. She said that, um, she told her husband about it and that he, then he came and helped her, uh, Clean out the car. Okay. But here's the thing. Yeah. They had found the cable wire, the same cable wire that they found, the police had found the cable wire in the car. Right. The same cable wire that was under the victim's body. Okay. And it was the same cable wire that Elliot was seen purchasing. Um, wait, what? Oh, after the? No, wait. No, I'm sorry. I think maybe somewhere else they found them. Okay. Retract that last. Okay, (laughs) so they found the cable in the car, and they had um, the same cable that they found under the body. But they kept, and they knew that that was the cable that was used to strangle the victim. They could see that. Yeah. But they kept that piece of information private because they wanted to see, like, what kind of... Right, what kind of story she would tell. Yeah. Yeah. And so also... um, Oh, they were able to trace the type of cable back to the store that he was seen purchasing the other thing. So they didn't see him on um, on camera buying it, but they were able to see that it was the same store they bought all the okay. cleaning supplies at. I knew it wasn't crazy. <laughs> um, so they, plus like Troy was a very large man and she was very petite. So it made this, it made way more sense that Elliot strangled him than, right. um, and, then Miranda just stabbed him by herself. Yeah. And so... Well, and didn't she say she just stabbed him, but he had also been strangled? Yeah, but so right. she never mentioned the strangling. Oh, do you yeah. think they just wouldn't notice? I don't know. <laughs> um, so then Elliot then decides to go to the police and come clean. Uh-huh. Um, he tells the police um, that they wanted... And he tells them a totally different story. Oh. So he tells the police that they wanted to kill someone together. He said... That Miranda had told them what, that when she lived in Alaska, she was part of a violent satanic cult slash street gang. What? I didn't know they had those. <laughs> <laughs> I bet their jackets are so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and then she had, uh, and, and that she had killed people before and that she had enjoyed it. And he said that he was fascinated by it. And he was fascinated by the fact that she had killed someone. He thought that it gave her, like, this, like, power. Uh-huh. And he said that he wanted to have that feeling, too. 
So they decided as a couple that they were going to kill somebody together. So he said that what happened was he hid out in the back seat of the car. Yeah. And she was in um, the front. And she, um, and then he was supposed, to, the plan was for him to strangle Troy. But he got, he kind of chickened out, he said. He chickened out and he didn't want to do it. Uh-huh. But then Miranda grew impatient and then just started stabbing him. And then to help her, because the man was so much bigger than her, then he jumped in and started um, strangling Wait, so does him. That th- does he think that makes him less culpable? I know, I know. <laughs> I don't know what he's thinking. Yeah. But yeah. And then so... Amanda, uh, Miranda, uh, like she ended up admitting that she said that she had been practicing Satanism since she was 13 and said that the people that she hung out in Alaska were a satanic cult and that she did kill 22 people. What? That's what she says. She said she killed 22 people, but she said that they were, it was like kind of a Dexter sort of thing. Like she only killed um, like bad people and she called herself Super Miranda. Oh, she's, so she's she's mentally ill. Yeah, yeah. So she said that that's what um, that's what she did, you know, when she was in the gang. And then, but police like they called the police in Alaska, right. and they couldn't confirm any of the murders that she described. Like yeah. not a single one of the twenty-two. There was like nothing that corroborated that story. Yeah, I said corroborated. Right yeah, you said right. Time. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get you with your big words. <laughs> um, so they both pled guilty, and they were sentenced to life in prison in the Pennsylvania correction system. And um, to this day, it still has never been confirmed if she had killed anyone else besides Troy. Oh man! And now. That is a... Is it crazy? It is crazy. It's a little spooky, too, I told you. It is a little spooky <laughs> and a little crazy. It is. And I hate them. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Do you want to hear a love story? I do. Is it spooky? <laughs> it's not. It, okay. I, okay, look. Look, I'll take non-spooky <laughs> love story. Dude, I know I keep doing this, but my love story this week is a really heavy one. <laughs> oh, no. But, but I will... Take us to Happy Town if okay. it is the last thing I do. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> um, no more crying. Okay, but it is. Yeah, it's it's a it's a bit of a, it's a hard one. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, I'm okay ready. so uh, Gerda Weissman was born in 1924 in Belsko, Poland, as one of two children born in a middle class Jewish family. Her father, Julius, was a business executive, and her mother, Helene, was a homemaker. On September 3rd, 1939, German troops invaded um, Gerda's home, uh, her hometown. And But shortly before the invasion began, her family had received a telegram from Gerda's uncle saying that the Germans were advancing quickly and that the family should leave Poland immediately. But Gerda's father had just suffered a heart attack, oh. and so doctors said that he couldn't be moved or subjected to undue stress. Um, after the invasion, Gerda and her family watched in disbelief as people um, that they had known, ethnic Germans who were living in Poland, people they began considered friends, began flying the Nazi flag and using the Hitler salute. So people oh, were just trying to God. save themselves. Um, in October of that year, Gerda's older brother, Arthur, received a letter from the German um, and as a male between the ages of 15, 16 and 50, he was required to register for the army. So um, he complied with the summons, and then he never saw, they never saw him again. Um, 
so the family was first forced to live in the basement of their home, and then they were moved to a Jewish ghetto um, where they lived for three years. And then in 1942, Gerda's father was sent to a death camp where he died several months later. In June, she and her mother were told it was their turn to go to the camps. And so as they were being like kind of herded towards these guards, the guards sent her mother to the left onto one bus and uh, train bus. They just boarded a Greyhound and Gerda to the right to board separate trucks, Um, separate trains, sorry, or trucks. I'm not sure. Anyway, so she, she was like torn from her mother kicking and screaming. Um, and she was so distraught that she jumped out of the truck that she was in and ran towards her mother, like pleading with the guards to let her stay with her mother. And, um, the head of the Jewish council stopped her and put her like physically put her back in her truck and was like, you are too young to die. And and doing that saved her life because (gasps) her mother was killed very soon after that. Oh no. So she was sent, Gerda was sent to three death camps. Um, she ended up in Grunberg in 1944 And this last one was the worst of the three. She worked the looms and she almost died from being overworked. Um, And for six months, she worked in intolerable conditions under a director that was cruel and often beat prisoners. So through her time in the camps, um, she said that her friends that she had there were like the most important things. They were like her touchstone and her way of like keeping um, perspective on humanity. And she tells the story of her friend Elsa, Um, who actually died a week before um, the liberation, that Elsa found a raspberry in the gutter once while she was on her way to the factory where they both worked looms. And she carried it in her pocket. And Gerda says the temptation must have been incredible because she carried it there all day long. But then she gave it to Gerda on a leaf. She said she had plucked a leaf through the barbed wire, washed it, and presented Gerda with one slightly bruised raspberry. And it was like such a special treat. Yeah. Um, Gerda says, she said, friendships are the certainties you have in life by investing yourself in someone else. You are assuring immortality. Um, in 1945, Gerda among with, um, along with 2000, um, sorry, in 1945, Gerda along with, 2,000 other young Jewish women was forced by um, the SS to make a 300-mile death march from Germany to Czechoslovakia to evade the advancing Allied armies. And when it became clear that, um, that the Nazis would not outrun the Allies, the Nazis left all of the women who had survived at an abandoned Czech bicycle factory and put a time demolition device there to go off. But the the bomb oh my failed God. to So of the 2,000 women that started the march, only 120 were left in the end. <gasps> um, so it was oh in God. January. It was so it was cold. Um, there was, it was winter. There was hunger. They were hungry. Beatings and arbitrary murders killed the others. Um, Gerda was just a day shy of her 21st birthday when she and the last of the others were found. Um, she weighed 68 pounds and her hair had gone white. Oh, my goodness. So they're at this factory... Um, And Gerda saw a car coming towards them. And she says, my view of freedom and liberation came that morning when I stood in the doorway of an abandoned factory and I saw a car coming down the hill. And the reality of that came when I saw the white star on its hood and not the swastika. And she yelled to her friend, Sue. She said, Sue's were free. Um, They had endured together. It was her childhood friend. They endured six years in Nazi concentration camps, followed by three-month death march. But Suze had died that morning. Oh, she no. didn't answer. 
Um, so Gerda says there were two men in the car and one jumped out. And um, one of the soldiers said, like, I saw skeletal figures trying to get some water from a hand pump. But over on the other side, leaning against the wall next to the entrance of a building, I saw a girl standing and I decided to walk up to her. Um, and Gerda says of that soldier, I remember the awe of him, the awe in, of the disbelief in daylight to really see someone who had fought for our freedom, for my ideals. And he looked like God to me. Wow. So the soldier asked her in German and in English whether she spoke the language. And so she answered in German. And she said, Gerda said, um, I knew what I had to say. I said, do you know we're Jewish? Like basically, like, are you going to kill us? Yeah. You know? Wow. And she says for a very long time, at least um, to her, it seemed like a long time he didn't answer. And then he answered, this, the soldier answered in a cracked voice. Um, he said, so am I. And so that soldier was a 25-year-old named Kurt Klein who had moved to the United States as a teenage refugee from Nazi Germany. Wow. Um, he had worked three day jobs or three jobs a day. Sorry, not three day jobs. He wasn't doing comedy <laughs> at night. <laughs> Just doing my day job so I can pursue my acting career. No, three jobs a day to raise money so he could send um, for his parents to join him in the United States. Um, his granddaughter would later say he wouldn't even take a bus to work but rather he would save that nickel so he could send it to his parents. Um, And his parents had made their way to France and were about to get visas to come to America when they were captured, um, deported back to Germany, and killed at Auschwitz. Oh, my God. So Kurt, this is a soldier, his name, he asked about the other women there. Um, He said, can I see the other ladies? And Gerda was just surprised. She was like, that's a form of address we hadn't heard in years that somebody would call us ladies Ladies, yeah um and gerda said i you know most of the other girls are inside they're too ill to walk and he said why don't you come with me um and then he held the door open for her and let her precede him into the door and she said that was the moment of restoration of humanity of humaneness of dignity of freedom just that simple act of opening the door wow and so they went inside the factory and it was like indescribable there were women all over um some of them were obviously Close to death, yeah. Um, some were dead and some were close to death. And um, and Gerda kind of like looked at the scene and said to him, um, noble be man, merciful and good. And Kurt recognized that as um, as the words of a poem by the by a German poet, uh, Goth, Goth, Gothy, I don't know, somebody who knows poetry, but it's a poem called The Divine. Um and he said there was nothing she could have, nothing else she could have said that would have underscored the grim irony of the situation more than what she said. Wow. And those words really stuck with him. And so Gerda was taken to a field hospital to recover over the summer because she was very close to death. And Kurt started visiting her, and the two fell in love um, oh over those gosh. visits and became engaged that fall. And Kurt returned to Buffalo, which is where he's from, um, thinking that that Gerda would be able to join him. But instead, there was all this red tape. And so it was like a year until they were able to get married. And that was, they got married in Paris. And Gerda says, that first young, 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 sorry, the first young American of Liberation Day is now my husband. He Aww. opened not only the door for me, but the door to my life and my future. So they settled in Buffalo and raised three children. Uh, while she wrote a newspaper column and he ran a printing business, they had wow. eight grandchildren. 
Uh, Gerda wrote a book, All But My Life, in 1957, and it has never gone out of print. It's still one of the most popular books, um, especially about for Holocaust survivors. Um, And her story became the subject of a 1995 documentary, One Survivor Remembers, um, which won an Academy Award. And you have to watch, like, go on YouTube and watch her acceptance speech. Oh. It is, like, it's amazing. She's amazing. Um, In 1998... Kurt and Gerda discovered the love letters that they had written to each other while they were waiting to get married, while they were apart. Um, And Gerda says, to our surprise, we found a lot of things in there with a great deal of meaning. I was crying. My husband was smiling. Um, They published those letters in a book called The Hours After. Um, They were tireless activists, educators, and speakers on tolerance. And um, after they retired, they founded the Gerda and Kurt Klein Foundation to honor their their mission of creating, to promote tolerance and community service. Um, Kurt Klein died in April 2002 at at the age of 81. Um, and, and this is such a crazy thing. But in addition to rescuing Gerda, um, Kurt Klein also played a role in rescuing um, Oscar Schindler. Wow. The guy from Schindler's List. So apparently he had been, um, after the Nazis surrender, Schindler was captured with some of his Jewish factory workers by American soldiers um, who spoke no German. So they didn't know, they thought they were Nazis. So they were about to send the whole group to a uh, prisoner of war camp um, in Russia. And Kurt Klein, because he was German, he interrogated some of Schindler's... um, the Jewish workers and found out that they had them all like, including Schindler transferred um, to safely to in, into the American zone. So he saved Oscar Schindler's life. Wow. And only years later did he discover who he had saved. Like it was like 20 years later, somebody sent him a letter. Wow. One of the, one of the workers. Um, so after Kurt's death, Gerda founded the founded citizenship, citizenship counts, which is um, helps young people appreciate um, the tenets of citizenship um, and encourage them to appreciate their rights and responsibilities as Americans. Um, and in 2011, Gerda was given the Presidential Medal of Freedom by uh, President Obama. And uh, and she is, today she's 95. Wow. She's still alive. And I here's um, my favorite quote that I read from her. She's like, she's amazing. I can't wait to see pictures. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's so many, they, because of the documentary, there's so much that you can, you can hear her tell the story in her own words. You can hear them tell their story together and they're just really amazing and beautiful people. And, um, and obviously just such a crazy heartbreaking story, but, um, one rare story of that time that had had a happy ending. Um, so she says, I pray that you never stand at a crossroads in your own lives, But if you do, if the darkness seems so total, if you think there is no way out, remember, never give up. The darker the night, the brighter the dawn. And when it gets really, really dark, this is when one sees the true brilliance brilliance of the stars. So that's it. I love that. Oh my God. That's so sweet. (laughs) Didn't cry. Okay, good. Close to it. Okay, good. But I was strong. You were strong. (laughs) Stay strong. Oh Um, man, I love that. But yeah, I definitely recommend... Um, I'm gonna watch that documentary. Yeah, for it's a sure. short. It's a short, so it's oh. only yeah, it's only like you can see it. I can actually find it on um, teachingtolerance.org, which is a okay. actually a great organization. So awesome! Um, it's for free. Go watch it. 
I will. All right. Should we do things that are dumb and things we love? Yes. Okay. Okay. You so I'm going to start. I cannot believe that. This is what's dumb. Okay. What's dumb is that I cannot believe that we are 17 episodes in. Yeah. And our show is about dumb things that people do for love. Yeah. And I have not yet once brought up love after lockup. I don't even know what that is. Oh my God. <laughs> this show, it's a reality show on Wii TV. Okay. Um, yeah, I think it's, is it Wii or is it Oxygen? Damn. I don't know. I just, I just say into my remote, I go love after lockup. Yeah. And then I feel like the shame wash over me. <laughs> and then I get right into it. It's like, what is that you said? And you're like, Shh, I don't want anybody okay. else to Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> lockup. Good. <laughs> but it's, so good. Oh my God. So what it is, the premise of this show is that, so the something that I love obviously is this show. Yeah. The premise of this show is that people, they meet, like they, there's couples that fall in love with prisoners. Yeah. And then the show follows them after like they get out of prison oh. and like their, their actual lives together. All right. I'm in. And so they're um i mean they're all great they're all amazing yeah but in the second season in particular um there is i mean it's just such good tv there's this guy (laughs) that like met and married uh or met this woman then fell in love with this girl named tracy in jail yeah and then she gets out of jail and she's just like straight up she's a crackhead like straight up like says she's a crackhead yeah. is a crackhead and then they get married um but he actually like it's the best part is when he introduces her to his family and his family is like this like really nice like like they I, they look kind of wealthy yeah um you know like conservative um you know probably they look like they're probably christian like yeah. family and just very sweet and well spoken and then he brings this uh like girl like in a kelly bundy dress like and <laughs> to come meet him she's like hey i'm tracy and i'm gonna marry your son he's like mama i love her <laughs> and his family's like okay wonderful great and then um i don't want to give it away but something crazy happens at their wedding crazy 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 and there's no way that this is like that scripted like it's gotta be a little bit scripted because it's reality tv but like i mean unless she's like um you know christian bale I don't think you you could you could see the progression of her bodily changes from like when she's cracking yeah. and when she's not cracking. Okay, and like her weight fluctuates like crazy. Her teeth like it's just crazy. Right, but you um, there's no way that this is an actress. Is okay, what I'm saying. all right. And now I feel like a piece of shit. That's I feel like so bad that finding enjoyment in this woman's personal struggles. I think you're finding enjoyment in entertaining TV. Yes. It is yeah. a show for a reason. I yeah. guess. It's a show she agreed for to be filmed and be on and her family. Oh yeah. Oh man, she's she's something, Miss Tracy. Yeah. She's something. <laughs> but um I highly, highly recommend it. All right. I'm I'm in. I'm in. I get Tracy. Okay. Okay, so my something dumb is um, you know, just that my mom's still struggling and I, know, I'm sorry. I think that's just gonna be a constant for a while. Um but my happy thing is um, um, the Great British Bake Off, which 
Honestly, I think is one of the things that, I mean, it's just like such a gem. It really is. It is such a gem. Like it just, it, there is nobody that I've recommended it to. I mean, everybody watches it now, but like nobody that I've been like, you really should, you really need to watch this that has not actually loved it. Even like the most, you know, cynical people who are like, "Mm, I don't really like happy things. It's yeah. It's calming. It's soothing. And the people are so nice and they bake. Yes. Everybody. I guess, like how you said, there's no, nobody that watches it doesn't love it. Yeah. There's just, I can't explain it. You just have to watch it, but it's the most soothing, comforting. There's no drama. No drama. So nice. Yeah. So lovely. Nice to look at. Right. Like picturesque. It's great. It's great. Um, I'm sorry again about everything your mom's going through. Thank you. Sorry. Thank you. No, No, it's, um, I think it's, you know, I think a lot of people can probably relate to. Yeah. Having sick parents, and it's really such a bummer. It is a bummer. I know. And shout out to Vas Sanchez, um, who we both adore. He's another comedian. Um, but he um, reached out to both of us and sent us a really nice oh my letter God. that like immediately like made Sally and I ball. Yeah. But um he, you know, he's lost both of his parents, so he like, you know, he she just it really hit home with him. So it is important that we do talk about these kind of things because they do. Yeah, um, we're important. We are important. We're, like we're doing, important. We're, we're doing good work. We're doing really we're doing important work, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Um, What's that thing I just said about the crack <laughs> on Love After Love? That's important. That was so important. <laughs> it's educational. Um, and well, entertaining. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Um, share us with a friend. Yeah. Yeah. yeah share, share us with, with your a friend. friend. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> you can charge $850 for your friendship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> New side hustle. Yes. All right, thanks, you guys. Get out there and go do something dumb for love. Dum, da, dum, 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 da, 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 d